Hi, and welcome to RPM, the podcast that explores the world of private markets. I'm your host, Michael Venn. In today's episode, I have the opportunity to sit with StepStone's co-CEO, Scott Hart, to discuss the current state of private markets and what investors might expect going forward. Scott, welcome to RPM. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Scott, I'd like to begin with COVID-19. Despite some earlier signs of promise, COVID appears to be far from over. Countries whose case count was declining have now had a reversal of fortune. But stock markets have, for the most part, recovered most of their earlier losses. With the benefit of nearly one year's worth of data, how are private markets faring? Well, I think one of the things that I've had a bit of a hard time doing through the COVID pandemic is is really making generalizations um, because, you know, whether you look at the public markets that you referenced, which have really been driven by a small number of large cap technology stocks, or whether you look at the private markets where we have seen different sectors of the market, different geographies, different assets impacted in, in dramatically different ways, really ranging from a complete shutdown for a period of time to, to those businesses that, that may have actually been net beneficiaries of, of the pandemic. You know, I do think it can be hard to to generalize, but 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 I'll try. And I would say that, look, I think the private markets have generally been performing pr- pretty well. Um, some of that is driven by the sector exposures um, that 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 we currently have. And if I use private equity a- as an example, some of these sectors that have been most active from a private equity standpoint over the last several years have been things like technology and software, healthcare, consumer discretionary, uh, l- less investment activity in some of the harder hit sectors like energy, like parts of the financial sector. Uh, that, that certainly does not mean that that we've been immune to what's going on around us. In fact, so, some of the biggest trends from an investment standpoint uh, included things like health and wellness, travel and leisure, you know, focusing on on experiences and live experiences over, over things. And those are certainly areas of the market that have been particularly hard hit. But I think overall, again, using private equity as an, as an example, the exposure to some of the more resilient sectors like technology, healthcare, parts of the consumer market ha- have certainly helped. I-, I think the other things that have helped from a performance standpoint really kind of go back to some of the reasons that you invest in the private markets in, in-, in the first place, right? The governance model and-, and sort of the control orientation. And I think we've certainly seen uh, many of our managers and underlying management teams really spring into action during the, the pandemic helping to preserve value, helping to guide their portfolio companies through what has obviously been a very difficult period of time. Um, the other reason you invest in the private markets is really for the returns and from a, from a diversification standpoint and looking to um, uh, you know, perhaps you know, reduce volatility in, in, in your portfolio. And I think when you look at the performance of the public markets in the first quarter in the U.S., public markets were down about 20%. Uh, private markets were down about half that. That certainly means that you know, in the rebound, they may not rebound to the same extent that we've seen in the public markets. But overall, I think it has helped to uh, you know reduce volatility across across portfolios. So really, performing the, the the way that we would hope that it that it that it might through a period of dislocation like the one we've just experienced, and in some ways accelerating trends that were already underway. Well, I think that's I think that's exactly right. I, mean, I sort of referred to to healthcare for for example, and I think we certainly think about healthcare as a uh, more defensive industry. Oftentimes, think about it as being recession resilient. But I think one of the things that we found early in the COVID crisis is that it may not be COVID uh, resilient, right? And you certainly saw patients that were staying away from the emergency room, staying away from hospitals, postponing 
procedures um, unless absolutely necessary. Well, that, that's something that you can postpone for, for a period of time, but not, but not forever. I think on the other hand, if you look at, at, at segments of the market like, like retail, where we've seen an acceleration of certain trends that were already in process, like, like you mentioned, with you know, the acceleration of the trend towards e-commerce, uh, that, that's a trend that's probably he, here, here to stay. And so you know, what kind of implications does that have on, on retail businesses, on restaurants, uh, other, other uh, businesses that may be impacted by that, by that trend? So are you seeing any differences between individual asset classes or do some of those broad strokes, those generalities apply to all the private markets? Well, I think we're seeing a similar trend in the sense that within each of the private markets asset classes, you are seeing different segments of the market or different underlying assets impacted in, in very different ways. In private debt, I think we're seeing many of the same trends on, on the corporate side to what, what I've just described in private equity. But if we look at, at, at real estate, for example, uh, you're ser- certainly seeing strong performance from industrial assets, uh, you know, data centers, you know, re- really um, assets that are benefiting from some of the same trends that I just talked about, e-commerce, obviously the work from home environment, uh, whereas retail assets, the hotel businesses, um, that are being impacted by limited limited travel are being more negatively impacted. I think if you look at infrastructure, you, you'd find the same. Your communications assets, uh, renewables, uh, are holding up well during this environment where more energy focused or transport oriented assets are, are are being negatively impacted. So I think the similar trend we are seeing is that there's really a bifurcation in terms of um, uh, the impact of the pandemic on different types of assets. So Scott, there's been a lot of discussion about the shape of the recovery. L's, W's, K's, and just a couple of weeks ago, we added backward square root to the list. How do we account for that macro level uncertainty in our investment process? Well, I, th- I think you may have actually even left out a few a few other shapes that you know the U shape, the V, the the, the Nike swoosh. Um, but I think as as we think about the macro level uncertainty, I think one of the things that we do is try to recognize that in the same way, way that we were not going to be able to predict the exact timing or the exact cause of, of the recession in the first place, like I, I'm not sure we can predict the exact shape uh, or timing of, of the recovery. But, but what we can do is we can evaluate a, a wide range of, of different economic scenarios. We can look to construct portfolios that are, that are built to withstand uh, you know, a continuing challenging environment. And, and one of the ways that we do that is, is through diversification. And during the last six months, you know, our, our teams across the globe have, have, have held thousands of calls and video meetings with our, our managers, with the underlying uh, management teams. You know, one of the things that we have found across the, those calls is that those portfolios that are being most heavily impacted are, are ones that had concentrated positions either in the wrong sector, uh, in, the, in the wrong underlying asset, uh, or were perhaps not diversified from a, from a vintage year Standpoint, and I think that you know that was easy to to do in some cases after a ten plus year bull market run uh, to to start to become you know com- complacent to start to invest funds much more quickly without you know the, the level of, of vintage year diversification that one would normally expect. But I think this crisis has sort of highlighted the importance of of diversification across a, a variety of, of of different metrics. The, the other way that I think we and our clients can can try to account for the macro uncertainty is look to try to take advantage of some of the opportunities that may come out of the, the current market environment. Uh, certain of those buying opportunities may, may not have emerged quite as quickly as we might have initially expected, but 
uh, you were still taking the time to, to prepare and to get ready. And if you were to talk to our private debt team today, you know, certainly thinking through not only more defensive strategies, right, investing in senior secured loans on the corporate side, but also starting to think about more opportunistic strategies that that might take advantage of, of distressed opportunities um, as, as the opportunity plays out. As, as you speak with our real estate team and, and, and think about their recapitalization strategy, really a strategy that was developed coming out of the global financial crisis, um, you know, that, that again is one that ought to be well positioned to take advantage of some of the opportunities that come out of this uh, uncertain environment. So Scott, I'd like to linger on the idea of diversification for just a moment longer. And you've mentioned sector diversification and the importance of vintage year diversification. But can you speak to the importance of strategy diversification and the reasons that LPs might consider secondaries and co-investments as a key part of their portfolio? Well, I think we've always been big believers that secondaries and co-investments are important uh, tools to have in your private markets toolbox. And I think that's you know, both from a portfolio uh, construction standpoint and you know, using them as tools to help mitigate the J curve, to help reduce the overall fee burden ac- across a private markets portfolio, uh, but also from a diversification standpoint, as as you mentioned. And I think in particular, as we're talking about you know opportunities that might come out of the the COVID crisis, um, look, it's sometimes hard to capitalize on those opportunities with a long term strategy such as a primary fund investment where you're really committing capital that will be drawn over the next you know, three to five years and, and, and realized over uh, a five-year period beyond that, you know, that, that's a difficult strategy to use to, to time the markets. And I think in general, we, we feel like timing the markets and private markets is, is difficult um, to begin with. But I think clearly strategies such as co-investments and secondaries have become really important tools across each of our asset classes, not only private equity, uh, but private debt, real estate, in infrastructure, we're seeing an emerging opportunity in the secondary space, really, as that asset class has matured, both with some of the funds that were raised uh, you know, around the time of the financial crisis, now re- reaching the end of their lives, or on the back of a, a pretty significant amount of fundraising that has taken place over the last 10 years. And so I think across across asset classes, even across underlying strategies, if you think about you know some of the activity we've seen out of our venture and growth team that have really used um, secondaries and co-investments to help address some of the challenges of investing in, in the venture market. Right? Things like ha- high loss ratios, things like um, higher fees in, in venture capital. You know, we've been able to help mitigate that through co-investing into growth equity opportunities or into buying into um, uh, you know established venture capital portfolios in, in an effort to really generate attractive risk-adjusted returns. One more time, I want to go back to the the idea of COVID accelerating trends that were already underway. If everybody is crowding into these more defensive and resilient sectors like, like healthcare or like industrial real estate, that's obviously going to drive up prices. How big a concern are asset valuations for LPs today? Well, look, I think I think you're right. I think some of the um, trends that I mentioned are not ones that uh, that only we at Stepstone here are focused on, or or that only our clients are focused on. And I think the result is that you do see um, an increase in in purchase prices and valuations, um, for, you know, for those assets that are viewed as 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 more defensive uh, in, in this environment. 
Um, look, I think to us, you know, what that what that brings into focus is the importance of of sourcing, right, and having a number of different opportunities to choose from, uh, so that you can be selective, in, you know, in this or any market in, in an environment. And so, um, look, I think that's that's the strongest defense to a competitive valuation environment is having a, a number of either deals or funds or opportunities to to choose from, so that you can be selective in which ones you ultimately pursue. And Again, speaking of some of these changes, based on some of the discussions that you've had with LPs and GPs, are there any changes that they're making maybe at the organizational, the operational level that are here to stay? Well, I think at the operational level, I think like everyone has their own views as to whether, you know, for example, this current work from home environment is is uh, is here to stay and whether we'll all be working from home or whether we'll all go back to the offices uh, exactly the way that, that we operated previously. Look, I think realistically, the answer is probably, uh, you know, somewhere in between. But I think what is here to stay is a more, you know, flexible environment. And, and I think one of the reasons for that is if you really think about, you know, the pandemic has allowed you know, many of us to really step back and, and, and think about and reevaluate you know, what's what's truly important to us and, and sort of what we can live without. And that's probably true from both a personal standpoint, but also from a, a professional standpoint. And, and I'll, just, I'll give you one example. I mean, I remember early in the pandemic reading articles about ESG and responsible investment and, and the fact that this was really the first time that certain ESG strategies ha- had been tested with a real market correction. And would uh, would they really have staying power um, because I think it's easy to focus on things like ESG and responsible investment when you're, you know, in the midst of a 10-year bull market run. But during a, a period of dislocation, um, would that focus remain? And, and I think that was a question, you know, early on in the crisis. Why well, I, I think, you know, with the benefit of of the last six or seven months, I, I think it's pretty clear that these are some trends that are here to to stay. And wh- look, whether that's because the COVID pandemic did happen to coincide with other events that really drew attention to inequality, drew attention to climate change and, and, it, and its impacts, or, or whether they had just had the staying power to, to begin with, I think really the focus on things like responsible investment and ESG are clearly some changes that, that are here to stay. Someone who has invested now through multiple cycles, What's one piece of advice you would give someone for whom COVID is their first real test? Yeah, well, I, I, I think it has been a, a real test. And I think it's a good question because one of the things that we did early in this uh, crisis was sort of step back and, and think about you know, our own team. right? And we clearly have a, a large and experienced team and many professionals who have operated through multiple crises. Uh, but as we looked at it, we also had about half of our team where this was the first crisis that they were working through from a professional standpoint and really had not even been in the workforce during the the financial crisis. And so we thought a lot about the, those lessons and those key takeaways um, uh, th- that you have from operating through th- this type of period. And really it was a period that, that, that none of us had, had, had lived through professionally. I, I think a couple of the observations would be one, um, like the importance of communication you know, I think clearly during this type of environment, there's going to be you know bad news that emerges, and I think it's important that that bad news is communicated uh, quickly. So as we've thought about the type of organization that we want to build, it, you know, it's one that is that is transparent and where we can openly communicate not only the good news when it comes, but the but the bad news as well, and that's both internally um, and with our clients. Like the the other, I think, piece of, of advice would be just to you know occasionally step back and, and think about some of the lessons and observations you know that that you're that you're experiencing during during this crisis because i think they will benefit you 
uh, at future points in your career when you're living through, uh, you know, similar periods of time. And I, I know, you know, had a number of conversations either with colleagues or former colleagues during the COVID crisis about um, some of the experiences we had during the global financial crisis and what we could take away from that and how it was benefiting us in the, in the current environment. So I think those would be two pieces of advice, just you know, the, the importance of communications as well as the importance of stepping back occasionally to um, to reflect on some of the things that will ultimately be valuable takeaways for, for future, future periods of dislocation. Scott, that's my last question. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks again for having me, Michael. That does it for this episode of RPM. Stay tuned for new episodes every few weeks. And please remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere podcasts are found. To learn more about Stepstone Group, visit us at www.stepstoneglobal.com. <laughs>